evangelism. And this um, this morning, we're going to talk about servant evangelism. Everybody say servant evangelism. Very nice. Um, and the last week, we talked about the law of God and how Jesus would uh, bring up the Ten Commandments, the Big Ten, to bring people to a place of understanding that they violated it and that they have a problem. See, if you don't know that you have a problem, then you don't know that you need a solution to that problem. And Jesus was really good at bringing people to the heart of the issue. And um, for most folks, the Ten Commandments was sort of something that was on the, lo- on the wall and something that they tried their best to do their best at. And, um, and, and that's good, but they, they began to uh, believe that they actually were doing it all the time. And so Christ would remind them, like, well, there's one thing that you lack, and go sell your possessions and give it to the poor and come and follow me and things like that. Because the law of God is, is, is like the levels of the playing field. It, it shows us our guilt before God. And so uh, we talked about ways that you can tell people uh, nicely about that. But um, so today we're going to talk about servant evangelism. One of the best ways to reach people with the gospel is through servant evangelism. And someone once said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Sometimes you have to earn the right to share the gospel with people. Uh, you can't, can't go in and say, well, you, know, you all need Jesus. And it's like, well, right now we need water. Oh, oh, well, you know, but if Jesus is the living water, well, that's good. But I need like real water, right? You know what I'm saying? So sometimes you have to meet a need in order to share the gospel. And so let's all stand up. We're going to get into God's word this morning. And Claire, if you make your way up, I'm going to have Claire Serrano share a little bit about servant evangelism from her perspective as um, uh, someone who has been in times past involved with a ministry that was all about servant evangelism, gospel for ages. So let's just pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we know that um, we are privileged people to be to have your word in our hand. Uh, Jesus, you said that we don't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so, Lord, we need a word from you this morning. We need you to speak to our hearts, challenge us with your word. We want to wipe the slate clean of our uh, of what we think you want to say to us this morning and say, Holy Spirit, speak. Speak. And let your word accomplish that which it's designed to do. Your word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And so let your word speak this morning, God, and and let it encourage us and strengthen us and build us up and challenge us. God, give us the energy to receive, the the ability to hear, um, and the willingness to implement whatever it is you might say to us this morning. We're grateful uh, for the opportunity, Lord. We don't we, we don't take this lightly, as we know there are brothers and sisters all over the world who do not have this privilege of just gathering and praying and worshiping out loud and freely coming and going, Lord. So, so we thank you for the privilege we have. We treasure it. We know that freedom is not free, that there's always a cost to be paid. Jesus, you paid the cost for us. And so we ask now that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Give someone a high five. Have a seat. And Sister Clara is going to share a word with you about servant evangelism. High five. Good morning, family. I've been 
mentioned earlier, um, I don't have a gift of teaching, so bear with me. Just, I'm just going to share from my heart. And um, something that God has put on my heart, um, just through what the Lord has done in, in my life in these years and showed me. Um, and when I think of, of servant evangelism, I think of the example of Christ and what he set forth for us when he came and uh, did his earthly ministry. In Revelations 1, 5, it says that he was, Christ was a faithful witness. And how, how was he a faithful witness? He was, um, he did the will of the Father. In, um, in John 4, 34, Jesus says that my food is to do the will of the Father who sent me. And so what was the will of the Father? It was John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever um, believes in him shall not perish. And so um, he came to die for you and me so that we may have, com- we, may have com- we may have life, life abundantly. Um, and then secondly, Christ came as a humble servant. Christ... Uh, always thought of the 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 um, thought of others more than himself as an example that when he was in heaven you know he came down to earth to die for our sins and so you know he left that comfortability and he came to earth he sacrificed his life to do the father's will and to die for our sins and I know we hear that all the time, but it's, it's huge to think that not many people in this world know that and have that opportunity yet, that they could be set free from bondage and guilt and shame and, and from a life of just complete, you know, um, not knowing Christ. And so... So in Hebrews 12, 2, it says that the reason why he, does, he did this is for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame so that we would know him. Um, in, and then, and then, and he also said in Mark 10, uh, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to serve, but uh, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom to us. Second um, Corinthians 8, 9, If you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you may, uh, so that you by his poverty may become rich. rich. Sorry. Um, There's a, a book that I read that that really depicts this is Calvary Road. Um, Roy Hessen um, wrote the book Calvary Road, and one thing he talked about was brokenness, and he defines brokenness as this: this simply means that the hard, unyielding self, which justifies itself, wants its own way, stands up for its rights, seeks its own glory, at last bows its head by God's will admits it's wrong, gives up its own way to Jesus, and surrenders its rights and discards its own glory. 
that the Lord Jesus might have all and be all, in other words, dying to ourselves. And we know that with humility and brokenness allows the Holy Spirit to work through us and in us so that we can reach a dying world that needs Christ. And we know that this is a journey. So um, in Luke 9, 23, it says that Jesus says, if anyone comes to comes after me and denies himself, takes up his cross and follows me. Um, another uh, characteristic of Christ was that he was in tune with the Lord through prayer. Like, for example, in, in John 5, it says that um, the Son of God did not do anything without the Father, that he would do whatever the Father would see he would do and duplicate. Um, so we just want to be careful not to, you know, step out in doing things in the flesh, just, you know, continuing to just walk in the Spirit as Jesus did. Isaiah 61 is a great model of evangelism. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted, and he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty to captives and freedom to um, prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all those who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, living, I'm sorry, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, so that they may be called oaks of righteousness and the planting of the Lord, so that the Lord would be glorified. And this is what Christ came for. So this is um, this was a, a messianic prophecy, as many as probably already know, that Christ fulfilled in his time here um, in his earthly ministry. He was anointed by the Spirit. Um, and in Acts 1.8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so we, too, being anointed and empowered for those who are baptized by the Holy Spirit, can also have the same ministry and going out and sharing and um, sharing the gospel. And this is what Christ came for, so that we would be oaks of righteousness, you know, putting us in right standing with him and the planting of the Lord so that we can glorify him. Thank you. Yeah, I am. Um, first of all, it's a Jesus thing. It's a Jesus thing. Um, let me talk to you about grace first. Grace is God's unmerited favor. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do to receive it. You can't be good enough. You can't try hard enough. You, you, you just simply receive it. Uh, it's God's free action for the benefit of his people and it's different than justice and mercy. 
Justice is getting what we deserve. God is just and will give us what we deserve. How many don't want justice? No, I, don't, I don't want justice. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we do not deserve. In grace, we get eternal life, something that we don't really deserve. But because of God's loving kindness that was manifested in Jesus Christ on the cross, we receive the blessing of a right relationship with Him, the blessing of redemption. Loving kindness is a word that you'll see throughout the Bible. And uh, for those who are uh, in the East, in the ancient East, covenant language had certain words that everybody knew that that had to do with covenant. Not a contract. This was a binding covenant. Uh, and loving kindness is one of those words. Um, it means strength. It means steadfastness. It means love. It means uh, commitment. It's mutual rights and obligations between two different parties in a close relationship. And the Hebrew word is hesed. And not just an obligation, but it includes generosity. Um, not only loyalty, but it includes mercy. It's a weaker party that's seeking the protection of a, of a greater party or the blessing of that uh, party. The stronger party remains committed to his promise, retains his freedom, especially how he'll implement those promises. And, of course, the greatest example of has said or loving kindness is God. And I love it in the Bible when God tells us who he is in terms that we can understand, like real clear, God is love. You know, I like that. Jesus said he was the light. We get that. Well, did you know that God also is a loving God, and that's at the very core of who he is in Exodus chapter 34, verse 5 and 6. As he's uh, presenting himself to Moses, he says this. It says, And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth, keeping mercy and loving kindness for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Matthew chapter 20, 28, Jesus speaks about this loving kindness and this servant attitude where he says, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. These are kingdom dynamics that to be a leader in the kingdom of God, you must be a servant. If you're not serving in the kingdom in some capacity, you're not leading. Now, could you imagine going to like a university? You know, let's take UNLV and say, hey, I'm interested in being a leader. They probably have a whole set of curriculum for leadership development. And let's say they give you this whole curriculum and you go through it and you go, you know what, there's one, I, I kind of want to be a different, I want to be a servant leader. That's how I want to lead, through servanthood. And they, they might just look at you and say, ah, yeah, you know, we don't really have, I don't know, maybe they do. I'm not saying I know this, but I just, I just think that in, in the modern world, when you think about leadership, 
servanthood isn't quite the term that you attach with that. You need power, you might think, uh, intellectual ability, drive. Um, you know, you, you interview with a company and they go, what's your goal? My goal is to rise to the top of this organization. Oh, that's a lofty goal. How do you plan on doing that? I'm going to serve others. Oh, what? Serve? Okay, just not, it's kind of a different dynamic. But Jesus says that if you want to be a leader in this kingdom, you must be a servant. Okay? He goes on and says, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, did not come to be served, but he came to serve. That's just upside down from what we normally think. Well, Romans chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says this, Or, or, or uh, do you have no regard for the wealth of his kindness and tolerance and patience and withholding his wrath, are you actually unaware or ignorant of the fact that God's kindness leads you to repentance? What's repentance? That is to change your inner self, your old way of thinking, to seek his purpose for your life, that that happens as a result of God's kindness. I know you think that you found Jesus, you know, but Jesus wasn't lost, right? Uh, we, we think that we... You know, we, we came into the kingdom and we did this thing and you responded to the revelation of who Jesus was, but it was because of his kindness that he allowed you to get it and to understand it, to illuminate uh, within your heart who he is, what he's done for you, and who he is right now. And then you, you said, yes, I need Jesus. And, and that was not just an emotional decision. That's something that because of God's kindness, he drew you to repentance. Why? Because for the most part, left on our own, we probably wouldn't get there. We wouldn't, but his kindness does that, the character of God. And so Colossians 3.12 tells us this, how people who are under this kindness of God ought to live. So as those who have been chosen of God, just by the way, just so I can get a quick show of hands, how many, how many of you have been chosen by God? Uh, is there anyone in here? Is it, there's some. Okay, most of you. All right. Chosen by God. How does that make you feel? to know that you've been chosen by God. I mean, in, in spite of kind of yourself, right? I mean, you know you. You know the mess that you are, right? And the mess that I am. I, I know me. And I, I, if I were God, I don't know that I'd choose me, right? But God, because of his kindness, has chosen us. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, there's that word, Humility, gentleness, and patience. Hey, let's go over that list again. Here's the way we are to live our life with a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. How you doing, Living Grace? You doing okay? <laughs> yeah, one out of four ain't bad, right? I know, I know. Or five, whatever it is. So here's our definition of servant evangelism. Demonstrating the kind of kindness and grace of God by offering to do some act of humble service with no strings attached. That's loving kindness. That's, that's humility. Demonstrating the kindness and grace of God by offering to do some act of humble service with no strings attached. You know, I thought about that. That's like no strings attached. 
nothing? That's hard. That's hard. Like, no street. Why are you doing this? For no, just, yeah, just, I just love God and love people, and that's why. No strings attached. Wow. All right. So as Christ extends his kindness, so we should extend that same kindness to others. Jesus is the example of servant evangelism, servanthood, and he calls us all to be servants. Church, you can do this. I know what you're thinking. You can. You know, you don't have to be intelligent. You don't have to be good looking. You don't have to have some sort of name recognition. You don't have to be educated to be a servant. Uh, You don't have to fill in the blank. You don't need anything. All you need to do is to be willing to serve. We can do this, right? We can do this. We can serve others. We're called to do this. All y'all are called to do this. Every one of us. You get that. You get to serve others. You don't have to have the, yes, not my ministry. No, that is your ministry. <laughs> All of us. We can do it, right? All right. So, servanthood, servant evangelism is a Jesus thing. It's also a fruitful thing. Paul writing to Titus in Titus 3.13 says, Send Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey with haste that they may lack nothing. And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. And so Paul says, if you want to be fruitful, then learn to maintain good works and meet urgent needs. That's fruitfulness. Thirdly, it's an enlightening thing. Servanthood, servant evangelism is an enlightening thing. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It turns out that servant evangelism is an enlightening thing because it gives you the opportunity to show people your relationship with Christ as you do good works, as you serve. And it says that that might cause people to glorify our Father in heaven. St. Francis of Assisi once said, Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. But only when necessary. Preaching the gospel by serving others. Fourthly, it's not the normal thing. Servanthood is not the normal thing. Jesus is asked a question, um, and he's not really asked this question in an evil context. There are some times when people in the scriptures would ask Jesus a question, and they're trying to trip him up. So this religious lawyer who is an expert in the law, I mean, to the, the minutest detail, the nth degree of the law, he, he's got an answer for it. He understands it. And he asked Jesus a question. Uh, you know that if you ask the Lord a question, 
you better be prepared for an answer you weren't expecting. Didn't Jesus do that all the time? Well, he's about to do it again. And he brings up the essence, this religious leader does, uh, of the law. The essence of the law. And he makes two critical errors in his discussion with Jesus. Number one is he assumes he has done the greatest commandment all the time. And secondly, he wants parameters for the second commandment. Turns out the greatest command, we have the big ten, then we have the two. Jesus narrowed it down to two. And that's just love God with everything within you and love others just as you love yourself. Love God with everything within you and love others as you love yourself. So this religious leader thought he was doing really good on the first one and he wanted to know the clear, he wanted to know the, what's the parameters of the second one as, as we'll see. So this is how it goes. Luke chapter 10 verse 25 it says one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him a question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? That's a great question. Verse 26, Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? See, here again, the Lord brings up the law because he knows this man knows the law, again, to, 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 to the minutest degree. And he goes, what does the law say? How do you read it? In verse 27, the man answered, this is an awesome answer, by the way. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's an awesome answer. Jesus replies and says in verse 28, right. <laughs> Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength always, 100% of the time, consistently throughout your whole life. You feel the weight of that? <laughs> no. I mean, the reality is no one can do that. And then love your neighbor as you love yourself consistently all the time. And maybe this religious lawyer is going, ah, okay, the, okay, yes, that's hard to do that's that that's difficult ah, right jesus told him do this and you will live and you feel the weight of the law then the man wanted to justify his actions so he asked jesus and who is my neighbor is that something that you would do i mean you know would you i mean does it does it really matter he's like Okay, love my neighbor as I love myself. Uh, clarification, sir, who's my neighbor? Because like next door, like I can love them. Two houses down, ain't going to happen. <laughs> and the street over, next street over, I'm really not loving them folks. So when you get a little clarity, what do you mean by neighbor? <laughs> Is there anybody else who would do that besides me? I don't know, right? So Jesus replies with a story. And this is a culture where stories, to this day, when you go to the Middle East and you want to reach people with the gospel, you want to start with stories, parables, okay? He tells them a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. 
by chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked, uh, walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he uh, uh, took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, Yes, now go and do the same. Or in one version it says, go thou and do likewise. Ah. Now, you have the priest and you have the other religious leader who both see him and they walk around, they, they literally cross the street. Now, just a quick, you know, back and forth, I, I need your input here. If, if you were to see that, and, and maybe you were to ask this religious lawyer, or hey, why did you cross over on the other street when you saw that guy? What, what do you think they might say? I mean, just give me what, just random, what do you think? What, what do you think? I don't, uh, you know, don't want to get involved. What else? Huh? I, I don't want to get sued. I mean, like, what, like, suppose I administer some, some first aid and then and do something wrong, and then I might get sued, you know, what else? Too busy. Too busy. What else? Indifference. You know, I don't really, I, honestly, I don't even care about this dude. All right, what else? Come on. Who? Fear. Yeah, right. Hey, what if this is a setup? What if there's nothing wrong with this guy? I go to help him and I get mugged, right? Okay, that could happen. Huh? Dude had it coming. You know what? Probably his fault. Ain't no telling what he did. You know, look at him. What else? Huh? Huh? The law? Okay, like, first of all, like, you might be, like, if you come in contact with this person, you might become unceremoniously clean. You got to think, look at that, man. Might get some, huh? They might get some blood on me or something. What else? You know what? Dude had it coming to him. I don't know what he did, but he had it coming to him. It's inconvenience. Like, you know, man, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, gosh, man. You know, if this would have happened an hour earlier, no, I can't. This guy, I can't. What else? What else? What else might might he say? Huh? Just don't care. How about this one, dude? I'm on my way to church. <laughs> Ain't got time. I'm 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 headed to serve God right now. So. <sighs> I'm trying to seek love the Lord with all my heart. I got to go to church and praise the Lord. I ain't got time to be helping nobody. I'll be late for the worship service. Someone else. I'm sure someone else will see this man lying in the street all beat up and help him. Some, 
someone else or I'm going to pray for that guy. God, help him, help him, God, help him. Ooh, Lord, help him, help him. Now, let me just say that these, these are excuses, I know, but and I, we're not talking about things that you would say. We're not talking about that. So I just want to free you up. There's no guilt or shame here. I don't want you to be thinking that, well, he's, why is he looking at me when he said that? No, there's, <laughs> these, are not, <laughs> these are not things that we would say. Um, those are all very good. You, you guys pretty much nailed, nailed them all. At first service did too. They, I just want you to know, they nailed them all too. They, they, had all, they, they were able to identify all those, all those I- I- excuses. Um, well, it's not like the guy asked me for help either, so, you know. But Jesus, you know, now remember who he's talking to. Someone who knows the, the, the greatest commandments. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as you love yourself. And so this is the audience that he's talking to, okay? And so you, you see what's happening here? He, he's starting to shatter something in this man's belief system. Okay, now, we've talked about the Samaritans. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, the Samaritans keep coming up. Last week, Jesus goes through Samaria to have a conversation with a woman in a well. Acts chapter 1-8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, oh, uh, Samaria, there it is again. And so Jesus gives this parable to this Jewish leader of the law, and he uses the example of a Samaritan who's the one who helps. Now, I got this quote. I thought it was interesting. Some rabbis taught that a Jew was forbidden to help a Gentile woman who was in distress while giving birth because if they succeeded, all they did was help one more Gentile come into the world, and they often thought the Samaritans were worse than other Gentiles. I mean, we're scraping on the bottom here is what their belief system was. Yeah? Okay. Now, notice this. this. This leader of the law, this religious lawyer, couldn't even bring himself to say the one who helped him was a Samaritan. Who was his neighbor? And he says, the one who showed him mercy, because I'm thinking he can't get himself to say the Samaritan. <sighs> you know what you call this? Busted. This man is busted. He's like, God, love others as you love yourself. And he's probably thinking, I would have walked across the street too. Folks, there are so many needs. There are so many needs in our city. You know, I thought about this and I thought, you know what? If I tried to help every need from here to the other side of town, I'd never make it. There's so many needs. There are so many people that, that, that have, have needs. And you get to feel like, you know, it's, it's just kind of overwhelming. Or you get to think that, man, what difference is it going to make? One little, it, it's not going to make that much of a difference. And you start to feel like the, the, the pressure of loving others as you love yourself. And there's so much involved in that. And how can I possibly respond to every need? And you know what? I can't do that. I don't know about you, but I can't do that. And I would venture to guess you can't either. Okay? So here's a few things we can do. We can pray for a strategy in advance. You know when you take that certain route to work, 
and that certain person is there with that certain sign, pray in advance, Lord, how can I help this person? Maybe the Holy Spirit will give you some wisdom on a practical way to help and so that you will already, instead of in the heat of the moment trying to make a rash decision, you'll have already prayed about how you could help. It's just an idea. Pray in advance about how you might be able to help. Lord, give me a strategy in this situation. Because I have found sometimes the Lord may have you do one thing. In another case, he may have you do something completely different. I will also say that when I first became a Christian, man, I mean, it didn't, it, every, I tried to meet every possible need that there was. Because I thought that's how you serve God. You meet me. I'm, and finally, I said, man, this is crazy. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Now, I just know I gave that dude some money he's going to drink with it. I know he did. I'm almost positive. One time when we were down, we used to be on Rancho, we used to be on Rancho and Bonanza. Oh, we, we had some characters coming through the door. And one guy, I promise you, I was at a gas station. One guy, he was, he was a crack addict. I know he was. I could tell by numerous different signs. And he asked me for money. He gave me some long, drawn-out story. And I'm like, okay, and anyway, I didn't give him any money, but I just discerned, you know what, not this time. Prayed with him, whatever. A week later, the same guy, I'm walking out of the church, meets me in the parking lot. And gives me the same, gives me another story about how his car's on the freeway, if I could just give him 10 bucks, and da 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 da. And I said, man, you gotta be kidding. You don't know me, do you? Why, sir, I've never seen you in my entire life. You just told me a week and a half ago some other story. And you know what he said? He said, oh, what do you think? Because I'm black? I said, oh my gosh. I'm really done with you now. Because I'm black? I'm like, are you serious? I kid you not, 10 years later, I'm preparing for youth group at my house, over here, wherever we used to live, over here. And I, I see, I see just a, I see a, a guy on a bike going down my street, because I'm, I'm upstairs, and I just happen to turn around, and I, I take a double take. It's the same dude going down my street. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I'm like, brother, when are you going to figure this out? I go, it's just strange. And you know what, though? You don't meet the same need the same way every time. You got to be led by God's spirit on how to meet needs. Pray in advance for a strategy. Pray for the need in front of you. Because for you to have an encounter with someone, I believe the Holy Spirit will prick your heart and say, sometimes you, you, just, you just see someone on the corner of your eye and bang. But, but what is the Spirit saying? Discern what God is saying. And, and, and be led by the Spirit. Don't be compelled by guilt. Did you hear me, church? Be led by the Spirit. Don't be compelled by guilt. Don't be compelled by guilt, because that's what I used to do. Oh, man, got to do this. Oh, yeah, man, here. Oh, let me help you there. Oh, no, no, no. And finally, I said, I'm not even sure if this is right. <laughs> and, and, and I'm learning to be led by God's Spirit in those circumstances. I'm learning that. Okay? Now, 
Love the Lord your God with everything you have all the time. I don't know about you, but I try to do that, but I fall short. Here's the good news. Salvation is not a matter of whether you love your neighbor all the time perfectly. Salvation is not even a matter of whether you love God with everything you have all the time, 24-7. That's what the law requires, but not grace. Because we're sinners who are saved by grace. And so now I love my neighbor not because I'm compelled to and I'm forced to, but because I love God and therefore I love my neighbor. And I recognize that I'm going to fall short, that I'm not going to be perfect in any of this, but you know what? I trust in God and I believe in grace and mercy. But first, it's about receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's the first and foremost part. Then trusting Him to give you something you don't have now, a heart, to, uh, a, a heart for Him and for others. That's it. First you get Jesus, and then you trust Him for a heart for Him and for others. And it just might be, you know what, I, I, I don't care about those people, God. I don't, even, I don't even, and then all of a sudden your heart just starts to change. You know, you look at someone and you begin to have kindness for them. You begin to have compassion for them. Something that you, you didn't have before. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. By the way, that works in your personal relationships too. As you yield to the Spirit of God, you, He will give you a love for someone that you didn't have before. By the way, that works in your marriage. It does. And it works in your relationships with other people as well. God gives you something you don't have. It happens all the time. Spurgeon said this, Let it never be forgotten that what the law demands of us, the gospel really produces in us. I like that. What the law demands of us, the gospel really produces in us. So, fifthly, it's a spirit-produced thing. Servant evangelism. Kindness to others. It's a spirit-produced thing thing. Atheist Matthew Paris wrote an article in an English newspaper in 2008. This is what he said. Before Christmas, I returned to Malawi, the country of my birth, after 45 years. It was a country I knew as a boy. Uh, it was called Nyazalan. Today it is Malawi, and the Times here in London included a small British charity working there. Pump Aid helps rural communities to install a single pump, letting people keep their village wells clean and secure. I decided to go see this work. It inspired me, renewed my flagging faith in development charities, but while traveling in Malawi, it refreshed another belief also. One I've been trying to banish all my life. It blatantly confounds my ideological beliefs and stubbornly refuses to fit my worldview. And as embarrassed, it has embarrassed my growing belief that there is no God. Now, as a confirmed atheist, I've become convinced of the enormous contribution Christian evangelism makes in Africa, sharply distinct from the secular NGOs, education and training alone will not do there. In Africa, 
Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings a transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good. There's long been a fashion among our Western academic sociologists of placing tribal value systems within a ring fenced beyond critiques found in our unculture, theirs, quote-unquote, and therefore best for them, quote-unquote, authentically and intrinsically worthy as ours. I simply don't follow this anymore. I observe that the tribal belief is no more peaceable than ours. As it suppresses individuality, people think collectively this feeds into the big man and gangster politics of the African city today. The exaggerated respect of the swaggering leader and the literal ability to understand the whole idea of a loyal opposition. Anxiety, fear of evil spirits of ancestors, of nature and the wild strikes deep into the whole structure of rural African thought. A great weight grinds down their spirit. But Christianity, with its teaching of a direct, personal, two-way link between the individual and God, unmediated by the collective and unsubordinate to any other human being, smashes straight through the philosophical, spiritual framework I've just described. Those who want Africa to walk tall amid 21st century global competition must not kid themselves that providing the material means or even the know-how that accompanies what we call development will end up making the change. No, a whole belief system must first be supplanted. And I'm afraid it has to be supplanted by another. Listen to this. Removing Christian evangelism from the African equation may leave the continent at the mercy of a malign fusion of Nike, the witch doctor, the mobile phone, and the machete. An atheist responds to servant evangelism. The gentleman that was commenting on this, John M. Morage, I can't pronounce his name, said this, this, to this sobering statement from an atheist, I would add that apologetics must be a part of the equation. For millions of Africans have already responded positively to Christian evangelism. What remains now is for the believers in Africa to demonstrate what the gospel can do to societal structures when it is properly applied. Learning to love God with their minds is the surest way to supplant oppressive belief systems with the life-changing Word of God. I should also note that I am not offering apologetics in place of the gospel. The gospel is what is needed, but in the process of applying it to all of life, apologetics is indispensable. Apologetics being the ability to defend the faith and understanding why you believe what you believe. So let me give you a list of some things that you can meditate on. I'd like you to list five free acts 
that you have done for someone or that you can do for someone. Five free acts that you have done for someone or that you can do for someone. And we'll leave these on the screen so you can get them. Also, what does Matthew 20, 28 mean to you? Matthew 20, 28. What does that mean to you? Why is meeting the needs of someone a fruit-bearing activity? Why is meeting the needs of someone a fruit-bearing activity? And how does being a kind, free act, or how does doing a kind, free act point someone to Jesus? Matthew 5, 14 through 16. And then what can you do to live out the definition of a servant evangelist? What can you do to live out the definition of a servant evangelist? Something that we are all called to. So let's be prepared because I have found, maybe as you have as well, that getting involved in the lives of others can be messy. And let's be spirit-led and not just respond to the need out of guilt or responding to the need because of our own preconceived idea of what we believe is going on. See, just like that man who was beaten up in the road, who knows what the two religious leaders were thinking. They may have had some preconceived idea of why they couldn't help. But Jesus was using them as an illustration of the law and not grace. And the Samaritan, regardless of what his idea was of what happened to that man or why it happened, jumped into action, and he's the hero of the story. You ever said this? All those people, they're that way because, really? So I challenge you this morning as I challenge myself with the word of the Lord. And let's see what difference God makes in our lives, in the lives of others. The old song said, I want to be in your hands, I want to be your feet. I'll go where you send me. I'll go where you send me. Lord, start in our own home. Father God, we thank you for your, your grace and your mercy. And we thank you for this story, Lord. And we thank you for your willingness to go as far as you went. Help us, O oh Lord, to be witnesses. Help us, O oh God, to serve others. Um, help us to... Lead the way in compassion. These are not easy things for us, Lord, for many different reasons. And so, Holy Spirit, we're asking you to make up that which we don't have, to plant within us that which isn't there, to bring to life that which is dead, resurrected, O Lord, that we might be your hands and be your feet. And, O oh, even sharing the good news of Christ at the appropriate time. And so we love you, God. We thank you. Be glorified in our midst. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said...